Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rabo here. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Jeopardy. Now, do you happen to know how many years Alex Trebek has been hosting the game show Jeopardy? Listen to this episode to find the answer to this trivia question. I guess I should have given you the or the answer and have you come up with the question. <laughs> But before I get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Spry Castle. We have lots of news for this episode, so I will... Start going through it very quickly. Uh, the big news for the show is that I have joined the streaming game. Yes, that is right. After watching multiple streams of the Amigos and uh, all the other streams that I've been watching online, I've got jealous and I decided I would give this a try as well. How hard could it be? Well, I guess it's it's not really that hard, but it's hard to do it well. I, I uh, have so much, after the past uh, week, I have a lot more appreciation for all the work that the Amigos and all the other guys that uh, I watch that do live streaming put into their shows. Um, but uh, So I set up a Twitch account, and you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. I would love it if you have a Twitch account, if you follow Twitch streams, to go there and follow me. I don't really care about uh, becoming an affiliate or a partner. or I'm not really after that. And to be honest, I'm not after the money. But the one thing I do enjoy is that while I'm streaming, you can chat with me live during the show. So while I'm playing these games, you can ask questions. You can give feedback and join in on the fun. And it's very, very enjoyable for me. I've had a great time messing around with it. And... If you don't catch the live stream on Twitch, those videos are immediately captured and will be uploaded to the same place all my other videos have been going, which is youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming, and you'll find them under the Sprite Castle Plays playlist. So this is an easy way. It only adds one minor little step, and it's I can still do all my Sprite Castle Plays. I'll be playing Commodore 64 games. I'll probably be streaming a lot of stuff, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm really enjoying it right now. So I want to set up a standard time every week. And so the time I have chosen is 8 p.m. Central Time on Wednesdays. Now, I may stream other times during the week. And if you sign up on Twitch TV and follow me, you'll get a notification whenever I start. I have my notifications. I have the app on my phone. So a little pop-up comes on my phone and says, hey, the Amigos have started uh, streaming, and then I can go into my computer or whatever, and I can go watch that stream. So if you want to be notified that way, I think you could get email notifications, however you want to do it. But, uh, but Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central Time, I'm going to try to do that as a consistent time to play uh, some sort of retro game on the week's where I'm doing Sprite Castle, I'll play a Commodore game on the off weeks, so and you don't know Flack weeks, I'll probably play an old DOS game or something like that, or maybe an old game from the Commodore library that I've already covered on Sprite Castle or something. So should be fun times. If you like that sort of thing, if you like watching game streams and you like interacting with streamers and stuff like that, I would love to have you 
come hang out with me. So uh, twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. Speaking of streaming and videos, I streamed multiple videos trying to get all this stuff working. I played Rogue, the old DOS game. I talked about that a little bit on You Don't Know Flack, but Rogue is an old DOS game that started out on mainframes, got ported to the PC. It's freeware. Now you can find it almost everywhere, but it also appeared on stream. There's a Epic's Uh, produced their version of Rogue. I guess they bought the rights to it. It's copyright 1985. And that appeared on stream or uh, on steam. I I keep interchanging steam and stream. It appeared on steam. And so I decided to stream the steam game Rogue. (laughs) Did I get that right? Um, And so I, I uploaded a couple of different streams to that. So again, those are on the YouTube channel on the Amigos retro gaming channel under the Sprite Castle plays playlist. There's also video there of me playing Video Kid, which was originally an iOS game that was also released later on Steam. It is a homage to Paperboy, but it's a endless runner type game. Well, it's not really endless. There's an end, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it looks a lot like Paperboy. It's set up like Paperboy, except for you're throwing VHS tapes. And the graphics are intentionally 8-bit, uh, very blocky, but 3D rendered. And there are a ton of 80s references in this game as you're going down the street. I mean, within the first 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I saw Pee Wee Herman. I saw Eddie Murphy from Beverly Hills Cop. I saw the Care Bears. I saw, uh, you know, just all these people. Michael Jackson uh, from, uh, uh, you know, going down the sidewalk doing his uh, smooth criminal. I mean, it's it's uh, just filled with 80s pop references. So it's a really fun game. Uh, even if you don't, you're not into uh, watching game streams or stuff, you might enjoy watching that video and seeing, picking out all the 80s references that are in there. So that's also been uploaded this week, as well as a video for this week's game, which is Jeopardy. So I ended up playing two full games of Jeopardy, and a full game of Jeopardy on the Commodore 64 takes about 50 minutes, just shy of an hour to get through. So it's kind of a long stream. Uh, you may decide you want to skip through it or whatever and just see the highlights. Although, gosh, playing Jeopardy on the Commodore 64, wouldn't you say it's all highlights? I would say that. So anyway, all those videos are online this week. Again, you go to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming and just look under the Sprite Castle Plays playlist and you'll find all those videos. I didn't get a lot of feedback over the last episode game, which was Pitfall for the Commodore 64. But there was one comment on the video I uploaded, one lone comment that said, this is the type of game you get bored with after three minutes. And it made me think about it. It's hard to sometimes defend these older games because, yes, they are very simplistic. But my first thought, it didn't make me angry, but it made me think about when I got Pitfall and how many hours I spent playing Pitfall. I did not get bored with it after three minutes. I played it for hours and hours and weeks. And Pitfall was in, when I was an Atari 2600 owner, I mean, I'm still Atari 2600 owner technically, but when that was my only gaming system, Pitfall was in rotation for years. I didn't get tired of that game for years. Even if it seemed like you had seen everything, I never beat it. So I would always go back to it and try to improve my score, try to improve my time. So, 
it just made me think of how perspective has changed on uh, games throughout the years, you know. And I'm sure if I were to get my kids to play it, it is the type of game they would get bored with after three minutes. There's not a lot to pitfall. You run left or run right, you know. You jump on crocodiles, you swing on a vine, you watch out for holes, you watch out for rolling logs. There's just, there's not that much to it. it it's pretty simple. But I just thought it was interesting uh, to think about when I was a kid, how many I mean, if you added it up, I'm sure I spent weeks playing that game. Uh, And then for someone modern to say that they would get bored with it after three minutes. And maybe if I saw it today, you know, if I just saw it on my phone, I'd never seen anything like that before. And I played it. Maybe it's something that would bore me after three minutes. But just funny how games change and times change. And, uh, you know, for those of us that appreciate the old games, I'm finding new Commodore games all the time. And uh, I try to spend more than three minutes on them. I try to, you know really uh, give them a fair shake. So anyway, I just I just thought that was interesting, the uh, difference in perspective there. Um, I got my Ultimate 64 finally assembled. And again, I mentioned this, I think, on the last episode, that I purchased my Ultimate 64 two years ago on Christmas, and it arrived, and I it was right in the middle. It arrived right when we were moving houses. I was selling a house and buying a house and moving and it went into the closet and it sat there until last month. And I finally got it out. I have a, um, Commodore 64 C case that I bought through the original Kickstarter from uh, the guy that found the original molds. And I got one of the clear cases. Actually, I got one of all five colors he was offering. There was red, white, blue, beige and clear. And so I've kept a few of them. I've sold a few of them, but I decided to use the clear case. And the reason I did that is because I have two different monitors, one CRT monitor and one flat screen monitor that are also clear. Both of them came out of prisons. And I think I talked about this a long time ago on, you don't know flack, but in Oklahoma, and most prisons are like this, if you want electronics, you have to buy them. If you're a prisoner, you have to buy them through the prison system. And there's an entire line of electronics that are clear. They have clear electric razors. They have clear uh, all different kinds of accessories and electronics. And they have clear televisions. And the reason for that is so prisoners can't hide contraband of weapons or drugs or anything like that inside the television. A uh, guard can immediately walk up and see, you know, what's inside the television. And so they're pretty rare to find in the wild because they're so expensive in prison. I looked up, I need to look this up on uh, uh, Amazon again. I looked it up the other day. Um, clear television. Uh, the RCA, this is the one I have, the RCA 15 inch Clearview HD TV television sells for $150. Now imagine what a 15 inch flat screen television is worth, like a normal one, right? Like 10 or $20. I don't know what you, you know, I paid, I told, uh, this story not too long ago. I went to a garage sale and I found two flat screen televisions, a 20 inch and a 32 inch. And I got them both combined for $5. So I don't know what a 15 inch (laughs) flat screen television is worth, but not much, but these are $150 and the markup is even higher inside the prison. And so what normally ends up happening is if someone buys one of these while they're inside a prison, when they leave prison, they sell it or gift it to someone else inside the system. But uh, I have found two of these in my 30 years of 
thrifting and antiquing and uh, all the, the different places that I've shopped, I have run across two and I bought them both. And again, one's a CRT and one's a flat screen. So I thought it would really be cool to pair up the clear monitor with the clear C64C case. So I have those two. And then yesterday, literally yesterday, my speakers arrived. I ordered through eBay a set of Harman Kardon, I guess that's how you say that, sound sticks, which are, uh, this is a 2.1 system. So there are two sound uh, little speaker towers and then a large uh, subwoofer. But the selling point, of course, is that they are all completely clear. So you can see the speakers inside them and the subwoofer looks like looks like something you would cook a bunt cake in almost there's a big hole in the top and it's round and at the bottom you can see the speaker where it fires down uh so it's very cool i have ordered a commodore 64 clear joystick and that will round out my little clear commodore 64 setup but i think it's uh it's looking pretty cool uh at this point so i've enjoyed the only problem that i'm having at the moment is um the keyboard the actual keyboard that I put inside is from a, a, a the Commodore that I owned 30 years ago, and the membrane uh, is not doing too well. So I, I, a friend of mine is sending me a replacement Commodore 64 that I can swap a keyboard into, and uh, once I do that, everything will be 100% up and running on the uh, Ultimate 64. And that being said, I will, should have it up and running right around the time my VC64 arrives. <laughs> You all remember that the C64 had a much delayed release in North America, but it was announced pre-orders opened on August 27th. I placed an order in the morning of August 27th within the first hour. Uh, it was supposed to ship at the beginning of November, November 5th, I believe, but then I was notified from Amazon that the shipping date had been delayed. But I was just notified this week of a new shipping date, it says estimated delivery date. This is from Amazon. Uh, new estimated delivery date, Monday, November 23rd, 2020. Now, it's kind of unfortunate timing, I suppose, that I got the Ultimate 64 because the more I play with that, I don't really know if I have a place for the the full-size the C64. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I may just put it on display. Um, you know, I, I've set up my room now. I have uh, an Apple II set up. I have an old DOS machine. I have my Mr. And I have my Ultimate C64. So I don't really have a spot for that. So I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, you know, I wanted one and I knew that when I bought it, there was a chance that I might not use it. And that kind of seems like that might end up being uh, the case. We'll see. Uh, we'll see when it arrives and, and how I feel about it. I watched a uh, video game documentary series this week that I believe is only available in Canada. Um, but a friend of mine uh, shared this with me, and it was uh, a series called Video Game Box Art, The Stories Behind the Covers. And I thought it was really, really interesting. It's basically interviews with artists throughout the years. Uh, there's some interviews with guys that all the way back that did Atari 2600 artwork. There's a lot of uh, Nintendo, more that kind of era, and, and then uh, some Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, that uh, 
that era, you know, 8-bit, 16-bit console stuff. But it's all the guys that put together all the artwork for the, the front covers, and there's a lot of original artwork that's shown on the different episodes and some stories about, you know, timelines and, and uh, things like that. I guess, you know, I wasn't a, at the time, I wasn't a big NES guy, and so I guess there's a big controversy about a Mega Man cover where Mega Man on the cover of the game is holding uh, a pistol instead of having a cannon be a part of his arm. But they, they go into that. They talk about that a little bit. There's one of the artists that talks about how he was really old school and that he never played the games at all, that they sent him VHS tapes of gameplay. And that was how he came up with his uh, artwork ideas and things like that. So it was pretty interesting. I, I did enjoy that. So if you can find a place to stream that or watch that again. I, I think it's easier to stream if you're in Canada, but uh, uh, if you can find a copy of video game box art, the stories behind the covers, I recommend watching at least a few episodes. I thought, I think there was uh, uh, eight episodes in all I want to say, um, but, uh, and they weren't, you know, they were, each one was less than an hour. So it wasn't uh, uh, a huge time sink. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Now on to, uh, Games are a few new uh, games and programs that I found over the past couple of weeks. There is a new package called the Shoot 'em Up Destruction Set 3. That is a collection of six games that were created with the Shoot 'em Up Construction Set. Uh, you can find a link to it on, uh, it's a Cytronic release. And so you could go to Cytronic.itch.io and it is forward slash S-E-U-D-S-3. And there will be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but you get a collection of six games that are all different types of shooters for $2.99, I believe was the purchase price. So I picked that up. I haven't tried it yet, but I did buy it. And uh, so that was uh, one of the things I found. There's also a new release called Showdown. Um, it is a game that reminds me of Outlaw on the Atari 2600 or Gunfight. I think there was a, a million different games that were similar, but you basically have uh, an outlaw or, or a cowboy on either side of the screen, left or right, and then you have obstacles to hide behind. And sometimes uh, in this version and, and in some different versions, there were stage coaches that went through the center of the screen, just different uh, things to hide behind and, and dodge. Of course, you have to find ammunition to reload if you've used all your shots. It is a one or two player game. So if you like to get together with a friend, that seems to be the, the way I would most enjoy uh, a game like Showdown. But you can find Showdown. It's also a HIO release. And um, I, I believe it was uh, Badger Punch is who released this. And it is $1 on itch.io. So if you like those types of games, you might go check that out. I saw a new IRC client for C64 net, uh, for the C64 net Wi-Fi modem, I should say has been, uh, released. So if you have one of those Wi-Fi modems and you would like to get your Commodore 64 on IRC, then you could go, uh, get this and you could find that it's actually on, uh, CSDB, it was released, uh, or at least posted there. So uh, that's where I saw that. Uh, and then I saw that uh, Soul Force, which is the vertical shoot 'em up which has been uh, created by Sarah Jane Avery. She's been documenting this for weeks and weeks on Twitter. So if you don't follow Sarah Jane Avery, uh, you really should if you're into the Commodore 64 and you like to watch uh, game development. The game is 512K in size. There are 20 levels. 
It is compatible with both PAL and NTSC machines. Uh, so if you like this type of game, I mean, this is a modern, uh, as good as it gets, I think, vertical shooter. So uh, there are pre-orders up for sale on ProtoVision. Now, here is potentially the bad news. It looks like, of course, it comes on a cartridge, and there are a bunch of extras that come with it. There's an audio CD, you get the game, you get a box, uh, you get some other things. But it looks like if you purchase everything, it's about 45 euros, which is just over $50 US, like $53 US. And I don't think that includes shipping to the US. So, uh, it's an investment. You know, this is a, uh, I'm sure at some point there will be a download version available. And, and I don't mean pirated. I mean a, a legally uh, downloadable version. I hope there's a, a digital copy that people can get. Uh, but if so, if you're a collector, then you might want to jump on this because I suspect uh, these are going to sell out pretty quick. So uh, you might want to go to the, the pre-sale over there at ProtoVision and register to get one of those. Again, you know, kind of a collector price, but uh, the game just looks absolutely awesome from all the uh, videos that Sarah's been posting on Twitter. So again, you should, if you like that sort of stuff, and she's been working on an RPG now for quite a while, that looks great too. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and finally, I saw a version of Jeopardy. You know, I did a bunch of Jeopardy research this week, and I found a version of Jeopardy where you can have all, I mean, as many people as you can think of, to join and play in multiplayer Jeopardy. And so we got a game of Jeopardy going over the weekend and we had contestants lined up as far as you could see. They were tiny on the screen because we had so many people joining in on Jeopardy. Some of the people that joined in for the game were Zeke Pabsky, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Steve Sharippa, Steve Rasmussen, Stephen Burt, Scott Lambert, Rick Reynolds, Paul Hermsky Davies, Patrick Markey, Olaf Hope, Jason Bundy, Mitsuyama, Mike McLaughlin, Matt Nicholson, Mark Alley, I scrolled too far, John Schaller, <laughs> John Morrison, Jake Nonamaker, Graham Vovke, Gary Heather, Garrett Allier, Eric Strianisi, David Hearns, Dave Zilly, Darren Folds, Cobra Kai, Chris Folds, Armadon Restel, and Ant Page. Oh, and I can't forget down here at the very bottom, Alan Hudgens. It just dawned on me two things. Number one, somehow this sorted in reverse alphabetical order. <laughs> Which is why Zeke was first and Alan Hudgens was last. And the other thing that just dawned on me that that wasn't it from a Jeopardy game at all. In fact, I just made all that up. Those are my Patreon supporters, and those are the people uh, that have decided to back me and financially support the show, so they're paying for the show so that you can listen to it. So thank you guys for all your support on Patreon. In fact, uh, the Patreon funds that I got last month basically have gone into the Ultimate 64. I had to buy some uh, filament for my 3D printer to print some uh, little, uh, gosh, what do you call it? Little adapters that go underneath the uh, the keyboard stand or little keyboard mounts, I guess they're called. Uh, I think the speakers came from that and I've had to get some Ethernet and HDMI cables to uh, run everything so that I can actually start streaming 
from the Ultimate 64. So uh, all uh, of my supporters are greatly appreciated. If you want to see what's going on behind the scenes on the show, you want a blog post probably every day or probably too many blog posts, <laughs> uh, all different kinds of things. You want uh, emails from me occasionally and just all kinds of wacky stuff. Go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and find out about the different support levels. If you don't want to support on Patreon, I totally get it. There's a lot of podcasts that I love, but I can only support so many. But other things that you could do is share my shows on social media and also like and review the show on iTunes. And don't forget about uh, Twitch TV and YouTube. If you want to watch those streams, that's all free. Come over, join in the fun. I think we'll have a great time. I told you there was going to be a lot of news. That is this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy, who just got knocked off his bicycle by a tire rolling down the street. Oh, wow. That's what I get. And now that we've discussed this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. As a kid, I used to get home from school around 4 o'clock. I think we got out of school around 3.15, 3.30. Then we got on the bus. We rode the bus. My house was one of the very last bus stops, and so I got home around 4 o'clock. But every day, Jeopardy aired at 4.30 p.m. So you got home, you kicked off your shoes, whatever you were going to do, and then Jeopardy would come on. And so uh, one of the things I remember doing is we had a hot air air popcorn maker and my mom would buy uh, these giant bags of popcorn kernels and it was super easy to do you use the little scoop you would scoop out the right amount of popcorn kernels pour it into the little hot air popper put the lid on and plug it in and it would heat up and eventually it would uh, pop hot air popcorn not hot air popcorn is not particularly tasty it's not like microwave popcorn or jiffy pop or anything like that uh, in fact, it's kind of bland, actually. And so my mom had <laughs> uh, butter-flavored Pam <laughs> that you would spray normally when you were cooking uh, in a pan. And so it was right next to the popcorn maker. And so when we were done, uh, my sister and I would take the butter-flavored Pam and just spray it on top of the, the popcorn. We had these gigantic Tupperware bowls. We had a green one. I don't remember what the other color was. Maybe yellow. But they were giant bowls, and uh, so we would fill that up with hot air popcorn, spray our little butter on there, and pour a little salt on the top, and sit in the living room and watch Jeopardy. So uh, I did not eat it while I was streaming because I thought that would kind of be a mess. But uh, as I was doing research, I did. We have a, a hot air popcorn maker, and uh, we do have microwave popcorn here in the house. We have bags of microwave popcorn, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it old school style. So I made some hot air popcorn, and then when my wife wasn't looking, I went through the cabinet. I found the Pam butter spray, and I sprayed it on. And then uh, the good thing about that is it also helps the salt <laughs> stick right to the... Uh, <laughs> right to the popcorn. So if you want a very cheap snack, uh, this is something that reminded me of my childhood of playing Jeopardy after school.
Jeopardy was published for the Commodore 64 in 1987 by Share Data. It is a game for one to three players that uses keyboard controls. A company named IJE owned the publishing rights to several different game shows, and so IJE licensed the games to Share Data. Uh, a few years later, well, actually uh, about a year and a half later, after they noticed what success Share Data had uh, publishing these games, IJE canceled their contract with Share Data, and they formed their own subsidiary named Game Tech, and Game Tech began publishing all their own games uh, after that. Share Data started publishing games for the Commodore 64 in 1987, and if you look through their list, you can see which games were licensed to them by IJE. All from 1987, they published Jeopardy, Family Feud, Wheel of Fortune, Dell Crossword Puzzles, Classic Concentration, Wipeout, and Card Sharks. Uh, I guess after they canceled their deal with IJE, they published a few other interesting titles you may have heard of. One is called Awesome Earl in Skate Rock. They published Chiller, and they also were the publisher for Avoid the Noid. Jeopardy, for those not familiar, is an American television game show created by Merv Griffin. In the show, answers are given, and the contestants have to respond in the form of a question. Now, the show originally aired in 1964, and it ran from 1964 to 1975. And then there was another edition called All New Jeopardy, which ran for one uh, season, 1978 to 1979. But the show was rebooted in 1984, and it was hosted by Alex Trebek. The version that Alex started hosting, by the way, that means it was on from 1984 until, well, at least 2020. So it's still going right now. Uh, it is still, like I said, still on the air today. And uh, as you probably know, Alex Trebek passed away earlier this month. He was born in 1940 and died in 2020. Um, so this game for the Commodore 64, uh, it was also released for DOS and a couple other systems, uh, is basically the computer version of of the video game. It is the home version so that you could play Jeopardy just like what you saw on television, but play it on your home computer. Uh, they really push the aspect that this was officially licensed and that this was just like the show you were familiar with. The front of the box says official TV game show program software. And then, and that's printed in a font. And then it doesn't even have the name Jeopardy in a font. It just has a picture of the uh, television studio and you can see jeopardy on the giant wall behind where the contestants stand in the background. Uh, and then in the bottom corner, there is a logo for uh, share data. The back of the box has more information. It says play jeopardy, all the color drama and excitement of the popular TV show. Then it says uh, the game features original categories and actual questions from the TV show. I would question that claim. 
some of the questions are really, really easy in this game. So I'm not sure they're the same ones that run the, the TV show. It says there are hours of fun with hundreds of categories and over a thousand questions. So you can play this game for a long time. Eh, maybe not a long time, but uh, definitely for a few weeks and hopefully not start to get repeating uh, uh, categories. When the game boots up, you will be loaded into a title screen. And the only thing on the title screen is the Jeopardy logo. There's no copyright information. There's no other text. It is literally the word Jeopardy in red, uh, you know, red color. After that's finished loading, you move directly into the menu screen. The first choice you'll have to make is whether there are going to be one, two, or three human players. Every game of Jeopardy has three players, so you're only telling it how many of those players are going to be human. Uh, once you have told it how many players there are going to be, you get to create your character. You have to tell the game whether you are male or female, and then you there are basically four different characters of each gender, but if you keep cycling through, there are a lot of different color swaps. So there are different uh, eth ethnicities. Uh, I, I can never say. I always get hung up saying that. But, uh, uh, you know, so there are different uh, colors and, and different types of different races are, are uh, represented. But it is a pretty shallow number of choices. You know, there's a uh, for the, the men, there's a. An older gentleman, there's a guy that looks like a TV show host, there's a little nerdy guy, and then there's a guy that looks a little bit like a cross between Raggedy Andy and B. Arthur. <laughs> so those are basically your four choices, and you don't actually get to choose them. It just presents you one, and it just asks you if you like that one, yes or no. So you can just keep hitting no uh, over and over and over, and it'll keep showing you ones until you finally find uh, find one that you like. Now, once you've done that, you've picked your character and you've entered your name, uh, you'll be prompted to flip the disc over and it will load the rest of the game. Now, the controls on the Commodore 64 are pretty simple. Uh, for a player one, you'll ring in with the Commodore key. Player two rings in with the space bar and player three will ring in with F7. Uh, player one always gets to go first. You choose the first category followed by the first amount. All this is done with numbers on the keyboard. So there are numbers that are associated with the six categories, and then you'll pick another number that's associated with uh, each of the five values. Now, this is old school Jeopardy. So the first round, the totals are 100 through 500, and then on the second round, they are doubled. Um once a question, or I should say, I should use the proper uh, Jeopardy terminology, once an answer is given, uh, you can ring in and to give the question. And so once you ring in, you'll be prompted with four different options that say what is, what was, who is, or who was. I think uh, I think those are all the choices. Uh, but you, you ring in, and so you could start your answer or your question with one of those four things, and then you have to type what the answer is. This is where things get a little dodgy with Jeopardy on the Commodore 64. The first thing that I would say is that for some reason, the text entry parser is very slow. Now, I have played this game on a real Commodore 
I've played it on an emulator. You know, if you load up WinVice and go into basic, you can type as fast as you can possibly type. It won't drop characters. But in this game, if you type even at a, a moderate speed, it's going to drop characters. Uh, it gets locked up. It gets hung up. So you have to type very slow when entering your answers. So that's the, the first uh, uh, thing that I don't like about it. The second thing is, for the most part, spelling counts. Now, when you start getting into foreign last names or the names of cities, I mean, you know, I played in the game that I streamed, there's a tool category. I know how to spell pliers. I know how to spell hammer. I know those things. But uh, there was one I, I think I missed that the answer was Netanyahu. I knew the answer, but I think I must have missed a letter when I was typing that in. That it doesn't always give you uh, not give you credit when there's a typo. Sometimes if you just miss one letter, it gives it to you. But there was one answer about the right to bear arms. I typed in Second Amendment, and it said I was wrong. And then it showed the answer was Second Amendment, but it was the number two in the amendment where I had typed out the word. S-E-C-O-N-D. So there's definitely some frustrating moments. You will lose some points every now and then, even when you know the proper answer. I guess I'm already getting into frustrations on this game. So some of the other ones that I have written down, number one is that you don't see your opponent's wrong answers, you know, when you're playing against the computer. So if you're playing a one-player game and, and number two and three characters, two and three, are being done by the computer, they can ring in and it will then just say wrong answer and they drop their head and look sad. It goes back, but it doesn't tell you what they guessed, which is a huge disadvantage. You know, if they, you know, if you think about real jeopardy, if the question is, you know, one of the Dakotas is where this happened and the other guy guesses South Dakota. Well, now I know what the answer is, you know, if he got it wrong, but in this version, you don't know what they guess. So, you're really at a disadvantage there. Uh, another thing that I noticed, and you will see this on the stream, is that if you start making a, uh, if you get ahead, you get a pretty good lead in this game, then all of a sudden the computer will start ringing in faster than you could possibly read the questions. I mean, in less than a second, a question would pop up and immediately one of the other two carriers would ring in and get the right answer. And so the only way that I could basically compete was wait for categories that I thought there's a pretty good chance I will know every answer in this in this category. And the minute it popped up, just ring in. And once I had rung in, read the question and hope that it was one that I knew. Uh, but uh, yeah, the game definitely cheats once you, uh, if you take a commanding lead. And by commanding lead, I mean, Anywhere from one to $2,000, it started doing that. Uh, again, now, when I said that the game doesn't show you other people's wrong answers, that also applies in Final Jeopardy. So um, when the game gets to Final Jeopardy, uh, immediately characters, you know, I was playing a one-player version. So players two and three immediately disappeared, but so did their score. And then it asked me how much I wanted to bet. Well, I couldn't see their score anymore, so I didn't know how much I had to bet to win the game. So I didn't care for that. And then 
you know, I put in my answer and it told me if I won or, you know, got it right or not and whether or not I got the money or not. And that was it. It never showed me what the other people bet. It never showed me what their answers were. So by the time you get to Final Jeopardy, it really doesn't feel like the television show anymore. And I don't know how it wouldn't have been that tough to to put that stuff in. I mean, uh, I, I mean, maybe they didn't want to make a library of wrong answers, you know, for them to guess or whatever. But it, they could have at least kept the characters there and showed the score or something. I was really, really disappointed in, in uh, that part of the game. I didn't find a lot of reviews of Jeopardy online. Uh, Lemon64 has a rating of 6.9, which is obviously above average, but uh, uh, I think that says less about this particular version of Jeopardy and is more just about Jeopardy in general. Again, uh, uh, ShareData released this for not just the Commodore 64, but also the Apple II computer and DOS. Now, one of the questions that came up on the stream was, did Share Data release uh, updated question disks? Well, not really. What they did do was re-release the game multiple times with new sets of questions. So you couldn't just buy additional questions, but you could rebuy the entire game. They re-released it as Jeopardy 2 with updated questions. There's a Jeopardy Sports Edition that's available, and there is also a Jeopardy Junior Edition. The one thing I will say that I liked about the question pool is that everything that was current events was from the mid to late 80s, which is probably my strongest point when it comes to trivia. So when it would say, like, you know, this brand new singer is topping the charge. Who is Madonna? Okay. <laughs> uh, whereas if it was modern music today, I probably wouldn't stand a chance. So uh, if you are a 80s trivia buff, you may have an advantage uh, with playing this. Uh, if you know, sometimes I look up other ways to play the game like iOS or Android online, uh, you know, PC versions, Steam versions. Uh, I think if you have something and it has a monitor, there's probably a version of Jeopardy for it. There's so many makes and remakes of Jeopardy. It's on consoles, it's on computers, it's on phones. Uh, there are online versions, there are offline versions, you name it. Uh, if you don't want to play this Commodore 64 version, there are a million and one ways to go play uh, Jeopardy. I did look on eBay to see if there were copies of Jeopardy available, and uh, there are, and it's not an expensive title to pick up. In fact, I saw complete versions, that's box, box uh, disc and manual and everything, for $15. So if uh, this is something you want to add to your personal collection, it is not an expensive title to pick up. And now let's talk a few minutes about my personal memories of Jeopardy. Well, first of all, I would say that I definitely remember having Jeopardy as a kid on the computer as long with uh, Family Feud and other ones. It seems like I played Family Feud and uh, possibly Wheel of Fortune more than I played Jeopardy, but I definitely played this. But the problem with this game was when a friend came over, they did not want to play Jeopardy. They wanted to play a racing game or a shooting game or you know something like that, uh, any type of action game. It was pretty tough 
to get your 13 and 14 year old friends to want to sit down and play an hour long version of Jeopardy on the computer. So um, now my buddy, Jeff, when I would go to his house, um, he had a Nintendo NES in his living room. And I know that we went to a local video rental store that also rented Nintendo games. And I do remember once or twice renting Jeopardy for the Nintendo and you would get the place that we rented from, you would get the games for two days. And I definitely remember when I would spend the night, by the time the next morning, we had gotten a bunch of questions and categories uh, that were duplicates. So I have a feeling, I don't know this for sure, but I believe the NAS version must have fewer categories and questions uh, than the Commodore or, or maybe the, the PC versions had. So we did play that occasionally on the NES, but I just don't remember my friends wanting to come over and, and play Jeopardy on the computer just because there were so many other great games to play uh, on the Commodore 64. I talked about watching Jeopardy after school. That's a big memory for me. And on the stream, I also shared a story about we had a satellite dish before we had cable. And the satellite dish, one of the things that we often got was the broadcast streams for the entire week for the local affiliates. And so if you tuned into the right satellite on Sunday night, you could watch a week's worth of Jeopardy, five episodes back-to-back -back that were getting beamed down to local affiliate stations that would then tape them and chop them up and re-air them throughout the week. And so, uh, as you know, as a slightly devious little teenager, I did exactly what you're thinking I did. I would watch that feed on Sunday night, and then try to get my friends to come over during the week and impress them with my knowledge of Jeopardy. What is Timbuktu? What is CO2? <laughs> All these crazy answers that I probably wouldn't have known at the time, except for the fact that I had just watched the episode a couple of days earlier. So I, I definitely uh, did that once or twice. And uh, I'd like to say I'm not proud of it, but I'm kind of proud of it, <laughs> of uh, being able to do that. Um my other memory that I would tie together with Jeopardy is the Weird Al song, which is I Lost on Jeopardy. So there was uh, a song by the Greg Kinn band called Jeopardy, but the, the chorus was Our Love's in Jeopardy, and Weird Al released his version, I Lost on Jeopardy. Uh, that was on his second album, which was Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, and that's the first Weird Al album that I owned. I didn't own his first album Back then, this was the his second one. Of course, this is the one with Eat It, and uh, uh, I think Like a Surgeon is on there. And so I bought the album and uh, definitely loved this song. I knew every word of the song. I knew Don Pardo. I learned Don Pardo's name. But the thing that was always confusing to me was uh, who was this guy, Art Fleming? And Art Fleming shows up in the video well, I didn't know that Jeopardy was an old show, and I didn't know Art Fleming was a, uh, uh, you know, the original host. By the time this song came out, Jeopardy had been rebooted, I guess, and I only knew Alex Trebek. Now, I have long heard a rumor that the success of Weird Al's song led to the reboot of Jeopardy. I have read that that's not actually true recently, but it's a good story, so I don't know. Maybe we'll say maybe it influenced <laughs> uh, uh, that. But uh, according to uh, 
Wikipedia says, uh, contrary to popular theory, the revival of Jeopardy was already in the works and was not inspired by Yankovic's song, but uh, I'd like to think it was. But yeah, definitely, um, you know, that song, I Lost on Jeopardy, was, uh, uh, I can't uh, watch Jeopardy and not think of Weird Al and, and vice versa. For graphics, gosh, I think I'll have to give this game two out of five um, Alex Trebek mustaches. <laughs> uh, there's no background. It's just a black background. It's very simple line drawings. They're okay, but there's not a lot of animation. There's not a lot going on, so it's really the bare minimum they could get away with. The music, I'm going to give it one out of five Trebek mustaches just because... It's not the Jeopardy theme. It's not the theme to Jeopardy. It's a, uh, and it's very annoying. It gets played over and over every time it restarts, every time you uh, pick a category. So, uh, yeah, thumbs down on the music. Sound effects, I'll also give it one out of five mustaches. There's a, a sound that's replayed every time you pick a category, every time you pick something, um, and, and the, the sounds are just not very good. Uh, overall gameplay, I guess I will bump this up. I'm being generous and giving Jeopardy a 3 out of 5. You know, it was a good game to play back when we didn't have video on demand, when I didn't have a DVR and could tape and save 20 episodes of Jeopardy at a time. And So if I wanted to play Jeopardy and Jeopardy wasn't on television, this was an option. But these days... Uh, you know, you can watch Jeopardy on YouTube. You can DVR Jeopardy. So, um, you know, it, it's an okay game if you want to try to see what your score would be and you want to compete with a computer that cheats. But uh, I don't think you'll be playing a lot of rounds of Jeopardy. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast, catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support this show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and other bonus features, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.roboherra.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows over at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.